Country Podcast Edition. I've always been around great songwriters and artists my whole life. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jason Aldean, and you are listening to my boy Michael Knox on Knox Country Podcast. Welcome to the Knox Country Syndicated Radio Show Podcast. This week, I have a very old friend of mine, Mr. Shane Miner. Yeah. I met you a long time ago. A long time ago. Yes. Um, we won't date anything because you still look like you're in your 20s. Well, so do you. Mom. And I don't. Yeah, you but, do. Somebody's but, lying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but when I first met you, you were an artist on MCA. Is that correct? Mercury. Party MCA. Yeah. And um, you were coming around listening for songs. And, and who, who was producing your project then? Dan Huff. Yeah, that's right. But now, now, was that one of his earlier? I, I was actually the first record he'd, uh, he'd produced by himself. That's cool. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Because I think before that, he had worked on what, uh, uh, Chris Ward. Remember yeah. that guy? I think, I think Chris Ward was on Giant. And I think J- uh, Dan and James had produced Chris's record. I had done one artist project early in the early 90s. Um, recorded some stuff on my brother. And um, I hired Dan to be a guitar player. Yeah. And his cartage guy came in, and we were all in awe of Dan. Like, you know, that was right. Dan Huff. Right. right. He's one right. of the greatest guitar players. But um, his cartage guy had a set up his cartage and then had two bottle waters and a napkin folded. And I remember going in there talking to the cartage guy, going, so, man, what's that? And he goes, yeah, but we have to put a we have to put this bottle of water here and a napkin. You know, it's part of his cartage. And, and, and we were all like, that's big time. You're big time when the Carter's guy got to bring you a bottle of water. You oh know? my god! What was a napkin for? Uh, probably to wipe his mouth after he drank the bottle of water. I don't know, but I'm it was awesome. I'm not doing that for you. Yes, I'm not. I draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> no. But but you Come do on, do Shalisi. that. What are you talking about? Uh, you, yeah, pretty much. No, but I was a monster Dan Huff fan, and now he's you know monster producer. Right. So yeah, he's. But that was his first full record. Just that yeah, my record was the first full record that he had produced by himself, and then from there, you know, I guess my record at the time was uh, more about you know probably dance production instead of me being an artist. Yeah, because you know? and I get that you know there and because with my record it had it was a little different sounding at the time, and definitely not down the road, definitely not the road I wanted to go down, but from that record he started getting all kinds of other stuff people would call him and go hey you know that shane record you did i love that sound and you know then it was shadaisy it was lone star lone star was kind of you know on the fringe of you know going away and then yeah. then dan they found that amaze song and he yeah. blew up so they're welcome was that you <laughs> yeah you're welcome yeah yeah me right you're welcome so it's all me yeah, yeah, it's, it's all, all me. Yeah, it's, it's all I'm, Dan should be thanking me right exactly. now. Let's call him up. I agree with him. <laughs> I really see now why you guys are friends. I mean, they're <laughs> we to- we're total friends. I love Knox. <laughs> so, but back then, when you first came to town, you're coming from California. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't associate country music with California. You know, but you were rodeo. You were rodeo yeah. guy. You yeah. were you were a police officer. Right. You know, um, I mean, was country music a big deal when you were growing up in California? Huge. I mean, you look at. You know the Bakersfield sound. I mean, I grew up on that. Buck Owens, Merle Haggard—they're all from that area. Dwight. Um, so how did that happen? How did you get a deal out of California coming to Nashville then? Well, the, how I got the deal was I—I had met a manager. His name was Bud Prager, and he had managed Foreigner and a bunch of big rock bands, Thirty Eight Special from day one. And he had—he had, I'd met him. He started managing me, and he had happened to manage Giant, which was Dan Huff's band and so that's how i got acquainted with dan and when dan moved out here moved to nashville 
Um, I just kept playing stuff around L.A., San Dimas, Bakersfield. I kept playing honky-tonks and writing with everybody I could. And every time I'd get in a writing room, they'd always say, man, you're too country for L.A. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I really have no nobody there. I know, you know, I guess I could just go out there and, you know, do it like everybody else, which I was thinking about. But I had a career going, too, as a cop, which is a whole other story. And I was, you know, took the police officer job with LAPD to, to live financially in L.A. so I could do music. And um, what happened was, is I was doing a show right it was in san dimas at the western connection i don't know if it's still there and i'd met james stroud and james i guess was pretty big at the time here in here in nashville and james and i are still friends today and he walked up typical james cigar james stroud blah 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 and i was like yeah right because i didn't know what he looked like yeah i'm like yeah right you're james stroud and this guy goes no that's really james stroud <laughs> i'm like get out of here you know right so me and james start talking and i come to nashville and do a couple demo things for him and he's like yeah man he goes uh just keep seasoning yourself which he was right and went back to la kept writing him james and i stayed in contact and dan and i stayed in contact and pretty soon it got to the place where songwriting was starting because i love to write songs started writing them at 12 and it started kicking into where it made sense my songs started making sense i started getting a grasp on it and sometimes i still feel like i I'm constant. I'm a student of it still. Next thing I know, James is like, I go to Nashville, and James is like, yeah, you're ready. And the next thing I hear is, you need to quit your job. So, I, And I was like, well, that's a risk. You know, and I always heard my dad was an old cowboy, and he always said, man, no risk. Without risk, there's no reward. You can go either way, and, you know, it is what it is. Just go do it. If that's what you want to do, do what makes you happy. And so I just went out on the edge and came to Nashville, and, I kind of already had a publisher set up with EMI, and two weeks later, um, always it sounds like I got here and two weeks later I had a record deal, but I'd been talking to Stroud and those guys for a year or so, coming back and forth, and it just happened. I got that deal at Mercury. They'd heard a demo of a song that I'd written, and Luke Lewis was running Mercury at the time, yeah, and Keith Stegall was his A&R guy who produced Alan Jackson and everybody, and but how did that work with James? Because was James a producer on your first album? No, James. Here's what happened. Here, I'll, 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 this is this is this is a testament to James at the time. He was running Giant, but I think Giant was getting to where it was closing its doors. Yeah, and you remember those times. Yeah, yeah. And I went over to Masterphonics, and he. I told I, I told James like, man, I got a meeting with Luke Lewis and Keith Stegall. Do it, do it. So I went over there. They signed me on the spot why i don't know because i still don't think i was ready but they did and so james and and dan dan called james said hey man shane got signed so mercury records they started talking to me and they go hey you know you could have james do this and work and and produce this record well dan and i had been working so long together and dan had cut some corners for me and really helped me along and, and stepped up where he didn't really have to help me you know yeah. and, he did. and he hadn't really jumped in the production world yet no he'd just done that one record with james and i felt like i don't know i shouldn't say i don't want to come back on me I, I don't think somebody was trying to weed dan out at the time that's not that's not right it just felt like they were there they wanted to, they wanted somebody with some experience right with james and i had the same and i wanted james too and I also wanted Dan because he's kind of the one that brought me to the dance. And he yeah. hung in there with me in all those years when, you know, James and I would talk on the phone. But Dan was the guy going, do this. You're not doing this right. 
you know saying yeah. you know as a producer you're you're a great producer you know when you get an artist that's sang you know been singing live and bars whole life and he steps underneath these headphones and these cans it's a complete different world yeah, right yeah, it takes some time it takes some time and that's what dan went through with me yeah that's good and so and he was real hard on me and, and it's like when it came that time i just felt like dan needed the shot well how much did your sound change from originally to where the first album ended out completely different completely different yeah because the, your first record was like the the beginning of the rascal flats right the 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 pop kind of sound coming in those harmonies really tight stuff you right. know really right really kind of really you know kind of poppy you know slick kind of things because right. your your first record sounded great you know but i knew you you came in my office hanging out wearing jeans right. t-shirts and then your first video came out and you were in leather right right you know right. and you know you look good in leather <laughs> you know but i'm not touching Shall that one i'm you not touching that one. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 i mean but it was a different change for that so um uh you know but um but that did start a lot of another direction that happened in nashville it did. Keith Urban one time said, "Man, thank God that you came in before I did." Kind of opened the door, yeah. which I'm, I'm not, you know, Keith Urban's talented guy, and he's responsible for his success. But I guess somebody's got to be the guinea pig, and I guess I was the guy. But now, "Ordinary Love" was the song that I remembered making the impact. But that wasn't your first single. No, correct? my first single was "Slave to the Habit." I didn't even want to cut it. Yeah. And but "Ordinary Love" what, what kind of felt like you a little bit. You know, it your, did. Your it writing did. style. It did. It, it did. It did. I didn't, and I didn't write that song. Yeah, but well, that's what I mean. That, that, that's what I was fixing. Right. To get yeah. To. Yeah. Because I love that song. You, the song that I had that they wouldn't let me cut. This will blow your mind. I've never told you the story, so everybody gets to hear it on here. I walked into with a tape cassette of she had a barbecue stain on my white t shirt, and she was. Yeah. That ain't a hit. You can't cut that. I had that song, and then Tim McGraw did it for about nine weeks. Number one. Well, yeah. What was it? Nine weeks. Number one. Yeah. So times were different, you know, back then, but. Anyways, and, and back to Dan, I, I I finally got put in the corner with Dan, and I said, I said, you know what, Dan? I go, oh, no, I went into Luke, and I said, is it okay if I just use Dan on this? Like, give him a chance to do a couple sides on me? Because I explained to Luke, I go, he's guy that brought me the dance. He, him and I worked hard, and I think he deserves a shot. And Luke says, yeah, you got it. You're going to have to tell James. And I called, <laughs> I called James Stroud up, and I said, James? Look, I, I want to work with you. It's a huge time. I go, and it's an honor. And people would think I'm crazy. I said, but take this just out of being, you know, having a, having a sense of ethics for my friend. He he got me there, and I just, you know, and James, like, say no more. He goes, I've never had an artist do that. And he goes, I appreciate loyalty in an artist. And he goes, absolutely. And James and I are still friends yeah. to this day. He gave me his blessing, and then, and you know, fortunately for Dan, it, it worked out, you know, and I had a great run, too, so that's kind of how it all happened. Well, and during that time, man, I mean, James was producing so much. So much. I mean, I, I believe he did, I could be wrong, I'll, I'll get a phone call from him or something, but like 26 records in one year? Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's that's crazy. Right. I mean, right. I, the most crazy. I've ever done was six, and, and, and I, I went crazy. Yeah. So, I know. you know, he, he was killing it. I mean, do, doing those when he was over at Giant. and. Right. And you know, and, and I mean, but but I, I can name 
half the 90s is James Stroud. Oh, totally. And I'll forever be indebted to James. I'm, I love James. You know, And maybe I probably should have had him produce my record. <laughs> but, now, but, but now Ordinary Love was the one that kind of started t- kind of getting some traction, getting some legs. Yeah. And, and But you went out with Shania Twain. Yeah. That's why the leather. Yeah. I think Luke Lewis in his mind, was he had Shania working, and he wanted to mail Shania. Well, we were always told that when you came by to listen for songs. See, I didn't know that. A and R always said, "Think of him as a male Shania," See, that, and that's why they always sent you to me because I was the only guy. Because you're the other one wearing leather. Wearing leather, right? <laughs> but mine was leather shorts. It was different. Well, I didn't no, work. But, is, did you show your your midriff? I didn't. That's where it went I didn't. Home. I didn't. That's where we. Went, that's but where we like went Mike home. does. Exactly. Like he's wearing right now. That's yeah, exactly yeah. right. If you people could only see him right now. He's well, got his shorts and everything. He totally has his chaps on. <laughs> uh, tank top midriff is <laughs> <Yeah>. different. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Shane Miner, and you're listening to Knox Country. Podcast. But with with that Shania tour, right? I mean th- that that was. I mean she was she was Shania then. I mean she was taking awesome. off. Everything was huge for her. She so was awesome. you were playing in front of huge crowds. Oh man! I, I mean, from- I mean so, so you went from rodeo to an officer. Mm-hmm. You know, LAPD all right. the way, and now boom! All of a sudden, you're in these monster stadiums opening for Shania Twain. Totally not ready for it. Yeah, I wasn't ready for it. That's true, Michael. I yeah. mean, you know that you work with artists. When you worked with Jason, didn't you? You found Jason Wynn. Yeah, oh, way, yeah, yeah, way yeah. back, right? Yeah, and I was, guarantee you, he was 21 years old. There you go. And, and I did. guarantee you, I don't even. I swear, I don't know the story. I'm looking at you right now. I would say that you probably worked with Jason for years over the phone going and going to see him and, and getting him seasoned and yeah. woodshedding with him. No, Am he, I close? He, he got a record deal his first three months in Nashville, and then we lost it because... I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Capital signed him, and we sat over there for two years because we, you know, nobody could identify what we were doing yet, you know, including Jason. Jason was growing every day. Hat off, hat on. Wow. You know, do, yeah. do I dress? Do I dress this I way that. or this way? You know, sure. it just takes time, man. When you get here and you and you see the bar, you see the people you're really competing with. You know, because it's different than playing in the clubs. And then all of a sudden, you walk in here and you see all these guys walking around Music Row, right? And you're like, oh man, the bar has been lifted. But you were ready. I mean, you were there. Everything was happening. It just kind of just maybe didn't happen. That's all. Well, you know? I don't know if I was ready. Like. I didn't have the people around me that were song guys. I didn't have a team. Yeah. It was really me and Dan. Yeah. Because at the time, the A&R guys uh, at Mercury, they were all writers, and they were, and Keith was still producing Alan Jackson, and, you know, they had other interests. So I get that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I didn't have a team of people going, hey, man, you, you got a deal? Let's give it six, eight months. Let's woodshed a little bit. Let's get this right and get these songs right. Because even, I didn't know why. I didn't like the songs. I just knew there's half of that record. I'm like, I wouldn't freaking buy that. But I was kind of being told, this is what you got to yeah. do. And I was so green. See, that's where I wasn't ready. Yeah. That's where I wasn't ready. And, and no offense, you know, it took me a couple of albums to get ready myself as a producer. Okay, I With get Jason. It. You know, so that. Dan probably was learning too. He was. He, he, I'm sure he was. And that's the cool thing about country music is that they give you that opportunity to develop and grow. But the great thing about country music is you found another life after your artist career right you know where where you didn't get to cut the songs you might have wanted to cut as an artist but everybody wanted to cut songs you were writing as Shane Minor right 
Right. How did that transition happen from being the artist to the songwriter, and what was the time period? Oh man. Um, well, I got when I got dropped from Mercury Records, it was in '01, I think. Or how, how long did that process go? The album that was about two and a half years. Yeah. Two and a half years, and you were on tour with Shania. I mean, that's throwing yeah. you. I threw to me the right to the wolves, <laughs> and I'm telling you, I wasn't yeah. ready. Yeah, but but I saw you play with Shania. You did, and you did good. I, I, I see. I didn't think I ever did. Yeah, no. I, I, well, I saw you there. I, I saw you at a show because they flew everybody out one time. You know, um, um, I think there was somebody else on y'all's tour, wasn't there? Um, uh, I yeah. Can't let me. Th- it was uh, me. And what was there was a uh, uh, what's the uh, dance group from uh, Leahy. Yeah. All I remember is that we went to see, it wasn't here in town, it was a drive somewhere. You got to remember, man, this is 20 years ago. Right. But yeah. um, it was a drive somewhere, and um, and I remember seeing you perform, and, and I, I talked to you that night. I mean, we it was it was a good show. Everything was fine. It just, sometimes things just don't happen, you know, and, and a lot of that might be the believability in it, because sure. you were saying, man, I, I wasn't enjoying these songs as much as I wished I could have. Right. Well, see, they had me on that record label on the on the on the album cover and in the videos in the leather, which is totally not me. Yeah. And then I would go to shows and I'd be dressed like I am now in jeans. But dude, I would hang with you, man, and you were the coolest guy. Well, thanks. Man. I knew back then. Well, I mean, it too. was awesome hearing your story from rodeo all the way to the LAPD, and I know you were around during the riots, and then you moved into the country music world, and then right. you moved here. You know, and yes. then you and David Lee Murphy, you know, later in life hooked up and started writing as well. And, you know, but you got to be proud of that transition because now you have a career in something completely different than what you started out as. That's true. You know, and, right. and, and that's and that's the whole process of our town that allows that to happen, that you might not get that opportunity if you were in pop or some, no, or some other format. That's true. That is coming from L.A. You're right. Yeah, you're right. So so you had two and a half years. You had the label. It, it, you moved on. Beautiful mess. Right. Was that your first? First number one. First number one? Yep. So what was your first cut? Oh, God, what was my first cut? I can't remember, Mike. or something before Beautiful Mess. Did you write anything on your own album? Yeah, I wrote uh, 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 Change Your Mind and A Girl Like That, which I kind of liked A Girl Like That, but, you know, I was just hard on my songs. I mean, I, I, I didn't have the experience like you. You're a great song guy. And I, I, I just knew all I would judge it by is, like, if I put it in the in the in the car radio and I started listening to the speakers or whatever and I wanted to hear it and I, you know the songs you just want to hear again and yeah. again like wow I find myself singing them that's how I would judge a song because I didn't have the, the knowledge I just like I would buy that yeah well most of my record I didn't do that with even most of my own songs that I even one they made me cut I was like eh but that's the trick. That's that the trick. Mm-hmm. People people think that there is an actual formula or, or an analyzation of it right and it's really st- staying a fan right of, of right. what you're doing That's exactly and then right. you go man I like that it's right. really I hate to tell you everybody everybody compliments me on songs and all they're doing is complimenting me on what I would buy that's all they're doing yeah, but I the, the 100% trick, get that okay, the, the trick to me though is hearing a song and you know it's a hit and you love the song but being able to distinguish whether or not that song is great for this artist you're listening for. Because yeah. that's the trick. Just because it's a great song doesn't mean it's going to be great for that artist. That's true. And maybe that's, you know, you were like, I love this song. Right. You know, or they love this song and it just wasn't, right. you know, for you. But you still had good ears. Right. You I know? could hear a song. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's the plan B of Nashville. That's the A&R side of Nashville where 
if if you have a if you don't have a good A and R guy, you can get taken down the wrong path. If you have a great A and R guy, you can be taken down a good path. Right, and you right. can um you know so, so so that's the neat thing about Nashville that you might not have in other formats right. because they hire a different process of how to develop a talent. Right, you know they 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 hire a track guy or producer guy, right. and then those guys write. So they're really just going there for that one element. Sure. You know, where that. in Nashville, you walk in and you got this whole massive song pool pitching to artists, you sure. know. I mean, but that happens a lot, you know, but you still had a m- huge experience that elevated you into going, hey, man, I can do this. Sure. I know I can do this. Right. So a, a beautiful mess. That was from, a huge song. Oh, that, Diamond Rio. I bought the Diamond Rio album because of that song. Oh. And I was young. I mean, it was, yeah. but I loved that song. Well, but that sounded you. like you coming off your album. When you hear "Beautiful Mess," well, that was me because yeah, yeah. I was because I I'd, I'd worked with I started working with Joe Galani, who I loved. Right when I came off of Mercury, Joe was going to sign me over to RCA. He had me a I was on a development deal, and again I went in and talked to Joe, and I was like, I still don't think I'm ready. Yeah, and I'd I'd had that song, and that's how he had heard "Beautiful Mess," and Diamond Rio was on that label, and what if we what if we let Diamond Rio cut it? And of course, I'm going, yeah, absolutely. And so the, the rest is history. And that really got the ball rolling for me. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to miss. I love going out on the road. I love I love to sing. I love to be up, up there with other artists and my buddies. I miss that part of it. But I don't. I, I enjoy being home with my wife and kids and, you know, going to the mailbox and getting a little check every now and then <laughs> and being able to hang out. You know what I mean? Every three months. Every three months. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's when you make it to the mailbox. Right. And I never did. I mean this. I never, I've never done music to be rich i never yeah i never did well and, and people say that a lot and they think they're all full of crap but it's, it's an actual you. genuine thing the, the, the guys that are really really successful would do it anyway i'd do it anyway yeah and i'm not rich i'm yeah. not most of the stuff i have i bought with artist money because i saved i was yeah. a single dad um you know and and i is me and my son and I, I saved we lived in a barn where every time it would rain the, the rain would come down the walls that barn's still there and I saved every penny I had, and and when it came, when I found a little bit of property, I I paid it off the day of closing. Okay, and it, and it was, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I've I've lived like that, try to be debt free, and I just I've just, you know, I'm not a rich guy, but I'm a blessed guy, and I'm content. Yeah. You know? But the great thing about Nashville is that you can have that one pop up yes. thing every now and then, you can. and it just gives you a 25, 30 year career. That's true. You know, true. and and let's fast forward now to Cole Swindell. Yeah chilling it yeah that's his first that that's what put him on the map right and that thing i heard everywhere I know. when it came out it, it was played so slow so long i mean it, it broke him it gave him a career that's right. you know how, how did that whole were you part of the production team as well on that one? no what happened is when cole and i wrote that song um he, he i'd go he said man we need to pitch this to luke because cole wrote for luke and i'm like yeah i go I, he goes you want to go demo it or something? We got talking. He goes, what if we just have Jody build a track, Jody Stevens? And I go, yeah, do that. So we sent Jody the work tape. And a couple of days later, he goes, hey, man, I think I got this track. And Cole went over there. Cole sang it. I threw I threw some harmony on it as a demo. And Jody mixed it. And that's our demo that was the yeah. record. The re- that's me singing harmony. Really? That's our demo. Yeah, that's, that's a demo. That's awesome. But that's but, how that happened. That's how that happened, yeah. 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 So Cole... And, and Luke wanted to cut it. It was a great story. Luke wanted to cut that song. And then Cole wanted to get an artist deal. And me being an artist, I understood where Cole was at going, man, I need this song. And I understand as an artist, when you need a song and you believe in something, 
it's like I didn't want to be that guy going, nah, that song, you don't, you know, and I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm but like, I couldn't do it. But driving home, you were like, man, he needs to give that to Luke. One hundred percent. And you know what? And you know what? And he did. And he was thinking that. Cole was thinking that. You know, he to, really he was because he's the one that played it for Luke. And Luke called me up saying, I heard this song. I'm gonna, I'm going to cut it. And, I, and then he, I get the call going. Cole wants to be an artist. Let's let him run with it because I'm not cutting until you know six months down the road. And worst case scenario, it's a win-win situation. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it blew up. Yeah, but that jumped out on the highway first or something the like highway, that. Yeah, and it got all kinds of airplay. Yeah, and then it started selling. And then and then he got signed. Then he got was signed. it something like that? Yeah, you know, it was like was it, it was like top thirty on on. Um, it went to top thirty on radio. Before he even had his record deal, yeah, and then Warner Brothers jumped in there. They jumped in, and um, and and then Luke took him on the road, and right. his path that had to have been a twelve months of just a whirlwind for him. It was, it was a whirlwind for Cole. Yeah, and and Cole's a great guy. You so know, how he, was that with you watching him go, kind of going through what you were going through because it was, you know, it was a very fast trip for him too. It was it made me smile. I I enjoyed. It. I I felt like I was right there with him. Yeah, a that's good. Bit. You know, and there's that part like you know. That's I went through that. Mine didn't work out that way, but but it sounds like he had that support I, around we, him. He did. He had a team around him, and I and I was you know one of them going. You know, Cole just it's it's going to fall like it falls. Just keep going, mm-hmm. keep going. You got a song. At least you got a song you believe in, and you got a team behind you. You know, and it and it didn't hurt that Luke, being the star that he was, yeah. was pushing Cole. Yeah. You know, I didn't have that. I didn't know yeah. anybody when I got here. You know, so it's like it's great. Mm-hmm. It's great, but that's still you cutting through on your own terms, right? Because that kind of happened, right? Without you know the normal way Nashville would do it, pitch a song, you get a cut, no whatever. record label. This was Nothing. you beating the path of right. the road and whatever. And that's the great thing about Nashville is that there are there are many different paths you can take to sure. kind of get where you need to get. Sure, and, there, uh, that's true. You know, now you also had a, a Clay Walker big mm-hmm. cut, yeah, Fall. That is my favorite Clay Walker song. Of all time, Shalacey, I love you. I love that song. I now that, that that was Shalacey, a different. I wrote that for you. you know th- that, thank right? you. I know this. I mean, the secret's out. Sorry, Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> Brooke is his very lovely, gorgeous wife. Knox Country Podcast Edition. Some of you know me as a record producer for acts like Jason Aldean and Thomas Rhett. Others know me as the son of rock and roll legend Buddy Knox, party doll fame back in 1957. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. You're listening to Knox Country. Hey, this is Keith Urban. What's up, y'all? It's your boys here, Florida Georgia Line. Hey, this is Little Big Town. And you're listening to Knox Country. You've entered Knox Country. Welcome back to the Knox Country Podcast. But fall was a, a different sound for him, right. wasn't it? It was it sort of when I heard it and heard it was Clay Walker, to me it was just so different sure. for him. It was different. It was, it, was a, it was a comeback for him. It really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really was. And 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 you know what? When I I when they said he was cutting that song, I didn't hear it for him. I'm like, really? I like the songs. That, but the way Keith Stegall produced that mm-hmm. record, I'm like, wow, well, it works. Got it. And then Kimberly Locke, that yes. girl from well, American Idol. American Idol, mm-hmm. she cut it. I remember. I just remembered that. I don't know whatever happened with that, but she did great. Yeah. She was awesome. It's a great song. Yeah. Yeah, but Fall was a number one for yeah, Clay. Yeah, for Clay. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was your second number one? Or or did you or was chilling it before that? Chilling it was after fall. Yeah, 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 yeah. I that's think, what I thought. Yeah. Then I had an Andy Griggs one called. Uh, uh, she thinks she, she needs, thinks me? She needs me. Yeah, yeah. but that, that was, was a great song. Big too. song. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that was. See, man, a lot of your songs were the slow play. Right. You know, but but you were coming up as a songwriter during a time in the '90s. It was fourteen weeks. 
was a number one and you're out of the way and then right after that right when your song started coming up it was took 35 weeks to get to number oh, one no. which is great yeah, yeah. Oh, it's good <laughs> it's great it's great for that mailbox thing you're exactly. talking about right you, right. Know? <laughs> you know but um but now it's kind of getting back to that to that to that quicker do you think it is michael you think it's yeah. going back there well it, it, it is for the guys i produce I'll look at him. Oh, good Lord. He's, I love him. That's why I love Michael. Jeez. I fucking love him. Don't encourage him, Shane, please. But you know why it's going to get quicker now? Why? Is because kids are finding it too fast somewhere else. So radio can't hang in there for 40 weeks anymore because the kids are done. I mean, kids, listeners, viewers, whatever it is these days, they're finding it on socials. They're finding it on streaming. They're finding mm. it other places, and they're done with it a lot quicker. Right. So they're moving on to something else. So it's got to it's got to go back to what it was. That it's got to go to a, a quicker. Do you, do you think that remember how the country fans were in the 90s? Yeah, they were nuts. And they they hung with the artists. Yeah. Do you think do you think that country fans today are sticking with their with the country artists? Well, it, it, that's a trick because they're discovering the artists, but they're not discovering a large amount of songs. Right, they're, they're hitting one song at a time now. Yeah. So so that's the trick. We we got to make sure our artists are cutting quality more than one song. We got to make sure that they're cutting a bulk of songs that make make a fan want to know who they are. That's true. And 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 that's probably where we are right now. Is that People are too busy looking at the quick one song mm-hmm. instead of the bulk of songs. Now, whatever you want to call a record in the future is what it is, but still, a fan wants more than one song. A real fan will stick with an artist through a bulk of songs. Right. So right now, we're stuck with a lot of one-hit wonders, one-hit finds, you know, things like that. So yeah. we got to get through that process, and I think a lot of that's just artist development. You know, don't sign singers, sign artists. You think there's a lot of artist development in town? No, I think there's a lot of singers in town. I'm with I don't. You. I don't think there's a lot of artists in town. It's true. It's true. And they're, and they're great singers. Great singers singing great songs. Yes, from great producers. Yes, but we don't have a lot of artists. I mean, you know, my opinion. Oh no, I 100% agree with you. But um, I but I think it. that's changing. I think guys like Luke Combs. Yeah, I think he's great. I think, I think guys, he's an artist. even Kane Browns of the world. Sure. Um, Sam uh, Sam Hunts of the world. Absolutely. I mean, these guys have pop overtones about what they do, but they're artists. That's right. They're artists at what they're doing, you know. So the next generation is definitely trying to make that make right. that. Push. Well, I think they're just true to who they are, yeah. In their lifestyle and it's yeah. it's sort of it, the believability is there, right? With those and and creating, you know, whether it's EPs or whatever that that travel, you know, because of of the common thread and all of the songs, I think that allows the fan to travel with them and then they kind of feel like they get that personal, sure, you know, connection to the artist and they feel like they know them, right? You know, and I think as long as we keep that at the forefront will be fine yeah you nailed it they know themselves and the, the mm-hmm. believability and that's what that's what i i forgot to tell you is when i when the radio guys would look at my album cover they'd, they'd look and they'd go i don't know who that guy is but i know who you are mm-hmm. yeah and I, and it just it made me go oh, i know I, you know mm-hmm. i know you're right yeah. you're right so and that's then it's back to that but guys like real artists they can brand themselves because they're being true to who they are yeah, and somebody's given them that opportunity, and I, and and you know, even if without the opportunity, real artists are going to come through and break through, anyways. Well, look at the past few years, man. And let's just name Taylor Swift. Sure. Let's name um, Zach Brown. Right. Even Jason Aldean. Right. Uh, Eric Church. Right. Um, you know, um, even all the way to the Casey Musgraves. Sure. To to Luke. to you know those kind of artists. Luke, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, but, but but I mean, I was trying to get to those kind of artists. Those guys were from independent worlds. That's true. 
They were all touring bands. They were all guys that are that that couldn't get record deals in the traditional sense. Right. You know, they had to come through a different route, and that's right. and that's what started that whole situation happening. And then and then you know, streaming came about. You mm-hmm. know, and then it kind of opened up another door of how to discover an act. So it's true. You know, and now we're in the heat of that right now, trying to go. All right, man, do we invest in songs or do we invest in artists? You know, so that's just where this new generation is. And what do you think? Do you think it's both, Mike? Well, I, I don't know if the country music format has enough buyers to fund that. You know, I mean, Justin Bieber can cut a song and get a billion plays. Sure. Our biggest song is 100 million. Really? You know, so you can't fund that. You know, so we have to invest in careers. Right. You know, and that's why you see a David Lee Murphy with a 30-year career. That's why you see a Garth Brooks with a 30-year career. That's why you see long, long careers in our format because people invest in our lifestyles. You know, in in other formats, they they might not, you know, maybe in rap they invest in their lifestyle. Sure. But, you know, rap and country are very, very similar. They are. You know, but... um. But they don't invest in the lifestyle of these people. They invest in the in the in the song of that person. That's why their songs last eighteen months, man. You know, you, sure. you don't really hear a lot of songs from some of those guys. Right. But in country music you hear you hear a bunch of singles. You That's know, true. before before Jason could headline, he had to have ten number ones. Wow. That's not the case in pop. You know, or that's not the case in other formats. It's amazing. Yeah. I get that, but that's my two cents with that. No, I think I think you're right. I think you're dead on right. We have to invest in artists, or our format's going to kind of go a little gray. Yeah, we'll keep investing in them because we need them, Mike. Yeah, it's what we do. All right, now I got to talk about a song that I wished made it to being a single. What's that? Was whiskeyed up. <sighs> I know. It just hurts. <laughs> it just hurts me. Just Mike. rub it in, Mike. Dude, but I love that. You, that- you killed that song. You. You, the, your production on that song was so stinking good. I agree. And I'm, and he's oh god, Jeez, Louise. No, but it but but no, okay. we that talked one, about that, that song. One, I know forever. Yes, it, I've it, had more people call me, other artists, mm-hmm. uh, people not in the music business, yeah. people from back home, out west. They'd call me and go, "Hey, man." And I don't, I don't go. I don't, I'm not a guy. You know me. I'm not a guy who goes, "Hey, man, I got a Jason Aldean." I don't tell people. Yeah. I just don't. I'm on to the next thing. I'm trying. I'm trying to be, try to keep it humble, and I try to just let my writing speak for itself. That's true. And but I've had people call me and going, "Man, I got Jason's record, and there's a song on there, whiskeyed up." Some of them goes. Some of them would say, "Have you heard that song?" Or some of them go, I didn't know you wrote that. That's my favorite song on the record. It's streamed like a single. Stream, yeah. People discovered it like a single. And if you went to like iTunes, it was always the first one that wasn't a single, you know, being downloaded. It, wow. it, it always had that edge that you, you thought it was fixing to be this, you know, right. the, the only thing that held it out from being a single was Jason needed an up-tempo for the I road. It. I get it. And, you know, because he's he's an up-tempo artist. Absolutely. I get but, man, that, that song, it, it will you. raise its head again. Thank you, man. Um, you know, if we ever do an album of of unreleased singles, things like that, uh, that, that one's always going to be on the forefront. Well, thanks, he's loved. He, he was, I know. I know. He I know. that song. Thank you. Like, yeah. Al, Al Dean freaked on that song the first time he heard it. Uh, now, who all did you write that with? That was me and Rhett Akins and, and Michael Carter. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. We had a ball right in that day. I'll never forget that. Yeah, I mean, I, that was my title. I had that title, and and of course, you know, I can't repeat a lot of stuff that was said in the room. You know. <laughs> it's 
especially with Rhett. Have you interviewed him yet? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> who I love dearly, one of my old friends. And, and, and it was just, I, I can't even talk about it. it was, uh, but we'd get in trouble. Hey, guys. It's Shalacy. Check us out on the web at KnoxCountry360.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at KnoxCountry360. You've had three major professions. Really, if you think about it, you know what, Shalacy, I'm, I'm a, what is that saying? I'm a jack of all trades, a master of none. But I'm, I'm so out of bull riding, you know. She brings up all the positive stuff. All the I know positive stuff. Police officer and in the music industry, what has been the most dangerous? The music career. <laughs> the music career. Well, see, I started. I'll make it quick. I started. I, I grew up in a rodeo family. My dad rode bulls professionally. I was never a ball player. Little league stuff. But I went from Little League Rodeo, Little Britches Rodeo, to High School Rodeo. Mm-hmm. Straight from high school, I filled my, my permit in the, uh, got my card in the, in the PRCA pros. Got injured up real bad over all the years. I started too young. And I knew some of the guys I'd been around that went on to win world championships that are still friends of mine. They're bull riders and rough stock riders. I just knew I was never going to be that good. I'm just open. That's honest. I had talent to get me to a certain level. Beyond that, I didn't have it. Um, and, but I loved it. So I grew up around rodeo and still rope to this day. I team rope now. I don't ride rough stop too old, but, but, uh, and then from there I, I went to LA and I wanted to be in the music business. I'd been writing. I didn't know how I had a little thing going on in LA with all the honky tonks. I had to live down there. And a buddy of mine said, you ought to apply for the LA fire department. I did. They put, had a hiring freeze. LAPD called me. I went to LAPD, uh, just, you know strictly for the the money to live in la and ended up loving it and respecting the job and the guys that i'd worked around because it's not what society paints him to be today it's it's not but great guys i'm sure you know if there are bad apples in every even how many bad apples we have in the music business right just two just two <laughs> and it, and it, and, but in the cop world that's the exception not the rule mm-hmm. and and gave me a immense respect for it and i love cops i have a lot of cops who are friends and pray for those guys and think about them every day because they got a target on their back and and i went from there to to nashville and it was just like a stepping stone and i'm very blessed and i'm grateful mm-hmm. and but nashville has probably got to be tougher than being a cop in south central los angeles and definitely riding bulls nashville <laughs> is mentally will beat you up it'll chew you up and spit you out mm-hmm. that is a fact right yeah. michael well it's a mental game it is a total mental game yeah, I mean, because you got a lot of talent here. Yes. But it's funny, the ones that survive take the abuse. That's true. And you do. No, it's, it's a tough well, one. I mean, and you two guys are manly men. You know, you guys are, are yeah, sort Mike, of, Mike pretty, you know, pretty buff, Shane, yeah. you are like a manly man. You well, know? Thank you, Shalacey. When you say that, you it's not manly. No. <laughs> well, because it's just ironic <laughs> that both of you are in a house full of women. Yeah. I mean, if you, you are very outnumbered now, so I'm wondering, you know, you have a beautiful family. Your wife is amazing. Thank you. Three young daughters, right? Yes. Okay. So how do you handle, you know, looking at your life and what you've been through and seeing where your future is, you know, is going with three young daughters? Mm. How do you handle being outnumbered? Do you handle it like Michael and cry yourself to sleep? in the fetal position every night or do you just take it I, I don't remember doing that and, and go with it you know it's yeah. like, do you feel like you're getting payback for anything it's 100% payback <laughs> One, yeah 100 so if there's any girls out there that know me from the past I'm sorry <laughs> 
please forgive me? Maybe God's hearing right now. God, just give me a break. Right? But, now, but, but now you live. I'm in an a, open book, Michael. But now you it's live. On a, now you live on a farm. I live on a and farm. And if guys treat your daughter like that, there's a lot of places to go. Hey, man, come over here by this tree. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of open space there. Absolutely. I had Luke Bryan. He lives not too far from me. He lives kind of across the field. Yeah, you, you can actually almost throw a baseball. Yeah, inside. yeah. He told me one day because he's got boys. We were laughing about it. He always teases me, <gasps> and he goes, right. "He goes, I can't, I can't do a good impression of Luke." But he goes, "Buddy, he goes, in about ten years, the Brian boy is going to be climbing through your windows." <laughs> <laughs> and I, what do you say to that? I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. That's what I would have done, and I got it coming. If they do, I and, do. And please don't cut them out of the wheel luke that's right that's right (laughs) because that's okay i mean it could be worse out there where you live i mean that's right that's right you know there's some other cats living out there. there's some other cats living out there (laughs) there's some other ones so who all do you live beside out there you it's it's a funny community you know um it's well when i first moved there nobody was there was it well george jones was across the road him and nancy he was awesome um behind me across the river is david lee murphy um, then I got Luke, and then Nick to to my left, and then to my right's Chase Rice, and then down the road around the corner is Lee Bryce. Isn't that funny, it's, man? And when I was there, none, none of those people. Yeah, everybody just kind of found each other out there. They found each other. Yeah. 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 So it's like, you know, of course, my, you know, I love them all, but David's got to be my my favorite. David Lee Murphy. <laughs> I love David Lee Murphy. I've been a David Lee Murphy fan. You just like you, yes, dude. And I know Jason is David Lee. Uh, dust on a bottle. He's a real artist. Showed me what cool could be. David is. He is cool. Now, and you have two cuts on his new album, right? I do. Yeah, yeah. That's ex- how exciting is I'm that? A, I'm so excited. It's David Lee Murphy. I know, and and to be on that journey just, with him, just to yeah, to watch him do it again. <laughs> and he's so cool. The swagger he's got. I he, mean, he I, acts like he planned it. Yeah. I mean, he, he's acting like he's playing, like, like no, nah, man, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> and you know what? And he probably did. I know. I he know. probably did, because David is just, there's nobody like him, and I love him. Yeah, he's I, one of the rare guys who can just sit down and grab a guitar and play anything, and you go, that's, man, that's cool. That is really cool. You know, yeah, yeah he's he's our James Dean. He totally is, he's and he's our, got the swagger. Yeah. I mean, I want to, I, I, when I grow up, I want to be Dave Lee Murphy. <laughs> I want I, when I I think a lot of people do. They do. What was that shirt? They had a shirt out there. It said, "What did it say?" It said, "Like oh, I can't remember." It was like, if oh, "Gosh, if you're not happy being yourself or something, you, you can always be David Lee Murphy or something like that." That shirt was floating around. It somebody, was hysterical. Somebody, somebody told me they they go David Lee Murphy's y'all Steve Earle, and I said, "No, well, he's our David Lee Murphy." He's our David Lee Murphy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But y'all been friends a while. A while, yeah. And yeah. I really do thank the world of him. I, if, if David's one of those guys and I mean this from the bottom of my heart if I never wrote a song with him if I never got a cut with him he's one of those guys that I would always love and be he would mean something to me he, yeah. he's that kind of a guy and on top of that he's a, he's a good husband and he's a dad to those boys those three boys he has you watch those boys and his wife with him the, his family loves him and he's just a he's just I can't say enough good about David Lee Murphy I want to be David Lee Murphy. I do. Well, dude, I want to be David Lee Murphy. <laughs> He's great. Well, dude, I love you being here. Me and you go back, and you I do. appreciate you spending time with me. Well, Mike, I love you. I have for a long time. You know that. That's and I'm proud of you and your stuff, your production. Well, I appreciate I it, dude. you come up as a plugger, and, I, and, and you're one of the top producers in this town, and I mean that. Well, I appreciate it, dude. I love you, man. Thanks. I love you, too, Michael. Thank you. Knox Country. Country. 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Knox Country Podcast. Special thanks go out to co-host Mr. Lacey Griffin and producer Donnie Walker. See you next time. Knox Country Outtakes. He just recorded all that. Yeah, but we won't use none of it. You need you need something else to put your feet up? No, I'm good, dude. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Noxie. I heard it was so it was packed and I heard somebody singing. I was like, uh uh-uh. uh. I know what love is. What's it to do you? You, you kinda gotta be an artist a little bit yourself. Yeah. Well you the know? best songwriters are artists. That's right. That's right. Well look at David Lee Murphy. Yep. Great songwriter, great artist. Man, we've talked too much about him. I love him. I love him. <laughs> no. That's right. That's right. Because <laughs> Live on Knox Country yeah, 360. No. <laughs> we are yeah, we'll get our we'll get you and I'll get in so much trouble, dude. We can't say that. <laughs> Look at her. Hey, get that. Hey, yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah. Welcome to Chicago. Yeah. 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 Griffin Country 360. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Welcome everybody. to the show. I got Welcome. Shane Miner in the house. Welcome to the Lady show. Like. <laughs> uh, do it again. Knox Country. Podcast edition.